0: Welcome to Practice Care with Carl White, the podcast where we help practice owners in healthcare know just enough about the business side to make good business decisions and keep their practices independent. Now our host, Carl.
1: What happens when you find out that one of your employees might be stealing from you or taking drugs or committing some kind of fraud? That's what we're going to get into today on Practice Care. My name is Carl White. I'm principal of Mark Advisory Group, which is a healthcare marketing agency. And I'm also the host of Practice Care, which is all about simplified advice for the business of your practice. And today, my guest is Erica Adler. Erica is an attorney and shareholder at the Retzel Law Firm. And she's also the practice group manager of the healthcare practice. She has nearly 25 years representing individual providers, physician groups, and other healthcare entities, such as home healthcare agencies, DME companies hospices, MRI facilities and surgery centers. She focuses her practice on regulatory and transactional healthcare law in compliance counseling, structuring and implementing complex joint ventures to comply with state and federal laws and regulations. She handles mergers, sales and acquisitions of healthcare entities and has extensive experience in completing transactions with private equity hospitals and other third parties. Erica also has developed a deep experience dealing with stark anti-kickback statute, fee-splitting concerns, and the corporate practice of medicine, among other challenges. Erica also has her own weekly podcast called The Retzel Health Law Hotspot, which has earned the number five spot on the Health Radio Now Network, and I've had the pleasure of being on her podcast a couple of times. And overall, she devotes a large part of her practice to advising professionals and practices on their contracts and compensation arrangements and assisting her clients in acquiring and selling healthcare entities. She also works with providers in HIPAA, fraud and abuse, billing audits, government investigations, licensure matters, and contract disputes. Erica, it's hard to find a part of the world of healthcare law that you are not touching in some way, and I really appreciate you coming on Practice Care today.
0: I am so pleased to be here. I look forward to talking about this.
1: Yeah, so you and I have talked about this topic a couple of times about when employees steal from you, and one of the things that you've said to me before is it's really interesting, and it just, in my mind, it just kind of turns the knife in the back a little bit, which is it's always an employee who you least suspect. And I just wanted to talk a bit about that and kind of raise awareness of that for our listeners. Sure.
0: You know, I've been doing this a really long time. And I think I've told you that at least once a month, one of our practices is reaching out about something going on. And sometimes it's more serious than not. And the most serious situations that we face typically always involve very long-term employees. And it's kind of shocking. You know, you have a small practice, And, you know, Mary Beth or, you know, Kim or whatever her name is, has been there for 20 years, 30 years. You trust them with everything. They handle your banking. They may handle your billing. They handle, you know, personal matters for you. They handle everything in your practice and you would trust them with everything. And yet somehow it turns out and it's discovered in a myriad of ways that perhaps you were too trusting. And this person has that access and has deep knowledge of you, has your passwords, your banking information, potentially good relationships with your, your bankers, your accountants, your lawyers, et cetera. So has really created a world. And I don't want to suggest that this was an intent all along from the beginning. What we typically see is a very trusted person where something has happened in their life. Perhaps they're going through a tough financial situation, a divorce somebody in their family is ill or out of work, their children are going to college, something changes that usually triggers this. I have rarely seen a situation where it wasn't triggered by something. So it doesn't mean that you can't have a loyal person working for you for all those years, but something typically changes and it can be very difficult to discover. When you do discover it, it can be something that has actually gone on for a very long period of time. It can be something that has been covered up quite well just due to the fact that you trusted this person so much and for so long. And it can be extremely hard to undo. Typically, this person has had you know control over your accounts, your financials, they might do your QuickBooks, they might do everything. And it can be really hard, not only to spot, but to gather information and undo. This is the kind of person where they start never taking a vacation, they lock their office, their laptop or their computer is locked and. In- you, the doctor does not have any passwords or information where they really control everything and nobody else has that information. And so when you begin to suspect something, there's really almost no way to do your own investigation and find out what's going on. And then of course, if this person has worked for you for a long time, you might feel guilty even asking about it. They get hostile when you ask for information because, you know, how dare you accuse me of doing this. So you can see all these different components kind of coming together and creating a really difficult situation to find out what's going on in your own practice, to investigate, to regain control, and to find evidence of wrongdoing. And of course, sometimes there's really nothing that's gone on. But when you see these type of scenarios occurring where somebody's not forthcoming, you have to wonder, you know, what's really going on here. So that's kind of a very typical situation.
1: Wow. And it's got to just turn the knife in another way because this is a person that you've trusted for so long and or at least you felt that you have. And all the while, you know, right underneath your nose, they're stealing from you. Do you see a certain like category of theft more than others, maybe be it financial or another type that maybe you know, people could be looking out for?
0: Well, financial is definitely you know big issue as I mentioned where we see people you know having you know some kind of financial issue or circumstances in their life has changed. So, Typically, we do see money being stolen. That might be skimming money. You know, people don't really have petty cash anymore, but that used to be a much bigger problem than it is. We see fake vendors that are set up. So somebody might be paying themselves or paying a company that they own or somebody they know owns. That's really just a way to funnel money. We might see duplicate payments. We might see things just getting reported in the financials in a way that looks totally legitimate that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on the doctor, taking a quick look at things wouldn't necessarily know. So typically, it's money, small amounts building up over time, usually it's not going to be something that's extremely noticeable immediately. So there's a lot of cleverness that's involved. And that's definitely one category of it. Another category of theft we see in the practice, and this is something you and I have spoken about before, is with the rise of social media, a lot of practices, you know, have Facebook accounts or Instagram accounts, uh, other types of social media accounts. And they often rely on somebody in the practice to post for them or maintain those accounts. And that person sometimes uniquely has the access, the password, they're the only contact person, the only person whose email is on the account, etc. So when things fall apart, that's where we see kind of them holding those accounts hostage or deleting them in retribution. And unfortunately, it's a very difficult and rather new situation that we're facing in business today. And I'm sure, you know, you know more about that than I do. Another category where we see uh, misuse is often when it comes to drugs and prescription. And this would be, you know, a couple of different ways. One is where practices maintain any kind of inventory on site. Where we see this being stolen, it could be prescription drugs like you know pain relievers or creams, stuff like that, depending on the type of practice. But I also have some derm practices where we've had fillers and Botox kind of being stolen or taken, and you know just changing inventory levels so it doesn't really become apparent immediately. There are, of course, more significant types of prescription thefts: people calling in prescriptions that the doctor didn't authorize. I have one situation where the, the client had a computer system where prescriptions you know, for e-prescribing would be typed in and the person figured out that they could print it out and then cancel the prescription. And then they would take out the printout of the prescription, go to the pharmacy and fill it. And in that particular situation, you know, the state came calling asking about the volume of prescriptions and their online records didn't match. They couldn't quite figure out what happened. And it turned out to be... I don't want to call it a glitch in the system because I don't think it was intended to be used in that loophole, way. But obviously, but yeah. it was a problem, and and they had to kind of reorganize how they who can who can enter prescriptions, you know, two people signing off on them, et cetera, as a way of preventing that. And so, prescriptions are a big issue, and obviously, that's not always obvious when somebody in your practice has become dependent on drugs. And sometimes it's not for them. It's for somebody else, a friend, a family member. That can be a little bit hard to pick up on, but, you know, doctors often totally miss any cues that people in their practice might be uh, misusing drugs just because they're not expecting it. They're not looking for it. I will say that the drug and prescription theft is a different category of employee, maybe than the long-term employee who kind of mismanages the financial, you know, we in my experience, at least the prescriptions are typically younger, savvier type employees who know how to kind of figure things out on the computer system, et cetera. Not to say you know, that older employees wouldn't do it. That just is not the trend that I personally have seen.
1: Got it. Okay. That is quite the tour of what can happen in a practice when employees decide they're going to do bad things. So- If we wanted to try to start to wrap our our arms around this and say, what are some things that practices can do to at least start to try to figure out do we have a problem? You know, whether it's theft or drugs or fraud, I could speak to the online stuff, but like, what do you, how do you start to wrap your arms around this as a practice owner?
0: I think that's a great question. And, you know, most people listening to this will say, oh, God, you know, thank God I don't have that problem. Right. Right. Because nobody thinks, you know, they trust. Their employees, especially the long terms ones, but I think that you know we often talk about billing audits in my industry. We say every year you should be running a billing audit because the people working for you they don't know what they don't know, right? You shouldn't, you can't just rely on your own personal biller. So you bring in somebody from the outside and they look and they check and they point out what's been done wrong and and they work with you to fix it. Okay, and that concept doesn't seem so crazy. Bring in somebody from the outside to look at billing. In fact, it's part of what we expect in physician practices today, in dental practices. But that concept of applying an audit to other things we do in our practice is a little bit more unusual. I work with quite a few accountants that will do this for their practices. They will take a look at the bank accounts, at the QuickBooks, at the financial statement. They will make sure that everything balances out. You know, my accountants that I work with are the ones who find those fake vendors. They find things that don't match up. And they are the ones who can discover this. And I would say, you know, having a yearly review by your accountant, whether somebody's doing something wrong in your practice or not, is still the best thing to do because how do we find errors? How do we find uh, cost savings? How do we find other types of reasons? So there's a lot of legitimate reasons to do it, and you just never know what you might find. Now, when you decide to do this audit, I would assume that the people within your practice, your right hand person in your practice that handles the bank accounts, that handles The vendors that pays the bills would be extremely cooperative, right? That they will turn over information, they will turn over the passwords, they will share all their files. And that's exactly what we want. If they are at all reluctant or hostile about doing this, that would be one of our very first red flags. Okay. Some of them would be a little bit overconfident that, hey, you know, whatever I did here, nobody's going to discover it. And, you know, that may be the case. We don't always find everything, but you know, so there's never one type of person, but the first step is to think about I need to find out how to do this. And another protective step is to rethink how you organize things. Is there only one person in your account who's handling cash? Uh, sorry, in your practice handling cash? Is there only one person handling vendors and paying bills? Is there only one person with access to your credit card? Is there only one person with access to your bank accounts? What we talk about in terms of minimizing risk is making sure. That in your practice, there's never just one person who knows everything and does everything. There should never be that one person. But unfortunately, particularly in solo and small practices where the doctors are particularly busy, they do have that one person that they rely on. So job description changes are also a very important piece of getting, you know, a grip on what's going on in your practice. If somebody was to die, for example, do you have access to the bank account? Do you have access to the computer, do you have access to your files? If the answer is no, I don't know, I'm not sure, then you immediately should start some kind of process of rectifying that. So we don't always need to, you know, make it a highly suspicious or contentious reason to start looking at these things, but there are many legitimate reasons to do so. And they also serve as preventative reasons as well. The same thing would apply to reviewing your prescriptions. You can look online on the state database for narcotic prescriptions that are being written, do you not recognize any of those patients? Is there anything suspicious? We can do that kind of check as well. You can do a HIPAA audit of your practice. Who's using what passwords? When are they using it? What information are they looking at? Is it appropriate, non-appropriate? So again, an audit process to keep an eye on what's going on in your practice, which not only serves to help us find people who may be looking at information that they shouldn't have access to and that's inappropriate, but also, it protects your practice because any one of those inappropriate you know interactions by an employee of your practice creates liability for your practice to violate HIPAA. So there's so many pros of really taking an active role in protecting your practice, and it's not just you know one positive outcome from doing so there's there's many benefits from being a little bit more proactive in in routinely reviewing
1: what's going on. Right. And it's tough as the odor, right? You've got the job you've got to do, but you've you have to have the right finger on the pulse of the rest of, you know, the practice. And it sounds like what you're saying is there's there's an appropriate level of oversight. The word oversight isn't the best word, but it doesn't have to be heavy handed. But you need to know what's going on in an easy to find out way, enough so that if something's not going right or something's going off the rails, you can get a sense of it and then dig into it and it sounds like an audit process is a good way to kind of set that up because there's a you know you, sh- you should be able to say that your practice meets the following criteria say when it comes to financial controls and if you can't say these things in one way or another then let's audit it figure out where we can't say it and get it to the point where we can
0: Absolutely and I like I I mentioned the best test is if something was to happen to so and so tomorrow what would happen, right? Would you be able to get access to your bank accounts? Would you, you know, would you have lost control of your social media accounts? Would you, you know, would you know how to pay bills? Would you have any of the passwords, you know? And I'll also point out we didn't really talk about billing, but you know, if you rely on the person in your practice to be the contact person on every one of your accounts, whether with CMS, BlueCosmo Shield, or other types of payor accounts that you might set up, whether it's Accounts to communicate with payors or to receive funds from payors, then, you know, that's there should never be just one person. And if there is going to be one person, it shouldn't be anyone other than the doctor, right? And that's just something that the doctor has to be responsible for. Because at the end of the day, who is responsible for what goes on in a practice, right? Who's responsible for the things done in the doctor's name? The doctor is. So the the doctor really needs to make sure that at the end of the day, you know, they can stand behind everything that's going on. In the practice, you know, we had a situation with, where somehow one of the employees kind of was diverting revenue that was coming in from a payor. And then there was a, like an investigation, a fraud investigation over some questionable billing. And we couldn't even find records of the billing. We couldn't find records of amounts that had gotten paid. And this very long term employee had set up a very sophisticated process where a lot of money was just getting diverted that was coming in. I think it was Blue Cross Blue Shield or, or somebody else. Similar to that. And, you know, we had to hire a forensic investigator to come in. And of course, the employee at issue had been there for 20 years, literally left the country, never to be found uh, to this day. And it costs just a fortune. And we also had to deal with a fraud investigation. So there can be huge repercussions for not knowing what is going on with your practice, not knowing what you're billing, not knowing what you're collecting, not knowing if, you know, some kind of oversight over whether. Services that you're billing for are actually happening or not happening. That's a whole other avenue of fraud. But again, it's ways that employees manipulate what goes on in a practice when they're too trusted.
1: Right. Right. So let's say there's somebody who's in this situation. You know, what can they do? So now they're kind of in a crisis situation because they're starting to figure it out. What should they be doing? Like, what's step one, step two? What do you recommend?
0: Well, I mean, every scenario is slightly different, right? So. Typically, if I get a call from one of my clients that they suspect something, we'll usually, you know, set up a meeting with them. And let's say they're a financial advisor or accountant that they trust. Surprisingly, most of our clients have great financial advisors, but don't use them as much as they could. So we will get together and kind of figure out, you know, if it's a a matter of just sitting the person down and asking some questions. uh, We could do that if we're really missing uh, access to passwords and, and information. Then. We may need to get cooperation in other ways. If we have discovered already that money has been stolen or drugs have been stolen, this may result in a police report and the police may be involved. This may involve bringing in, like I said, forensic experts, okay? We may, at the end of the day, depending on what's been done, have to make reports to other agencies. It could be HIPAA, it could be CMS or OIG, You know, depending on, on what exactly has happened. But the first thing is to sit down Find out what we know and what we don't know and figure out a way to get more information. We need to work as a team of advisors to figure out what the problem is and the best way to address it, what the pros and cons are, of different ways of doing it, and then kind of see it through. We need to resolve the issue, find out the information, correct it, and then typically you know, terminate that person immediately, which can be super hard for some of my clients to do. They've worked with this person for many years. They feel betrayed. They really do care about the person. The person says, oh, I'm so sorry. I was going through this. I was going through that. I'll never do it again. You know, it can be really hard to see it through. And, you know, that is one of the challenges that we often will face, you know, when the time comes is really dealing with it. And I'll tell you something else that can be quite disturbing is a lot of times doctors will just let that person go. They don't file a police report. They don't do anything about it. And then we see the same person with many, many years of practice management and skills, turning up as a practice manager for another practice, right? So, you know, the doctor they worked for for many years doesn't want to see anything bad about them, doesn't want to hurt them. And so they then go to another practice. And we've actually seen people repeat the same pattern and steal again from another practice. So, you know, sometimes even after doing a stint in jail, I've had that happen as well. So really shocking. But, you know, the human nature is we care. We don't want to hurt people. We want to protect them. And that can sometimes step in the way of making sound business decisions.
1: Right. Right. And I mean, I can speak to the, to the online property part of this, whether it's your social media accounts, your website, your Google, my business listing, really the, the way to get that don't wait for the theft, because once they've got it, they can delete it with, you know, with two clicks or one click and it's, and then it's gone. Like you getting the money back or, you know, recovering things, it's gone. And in that sense, Most of these properties, your website, your social media accounts, your Google profile, your listings, every one of them has different levels of access. And so the owner of the practice should have the highest level, the ownership level. And then each one's a little bit different, but there's administrative level and then, you know, editor or viewer. And really for the people in your practice, if you're going to delegate the work of any of those properties, give them the lowest level of access that they need to do what they need to do and never give them. The level of access where they could change the ownership, where they could kick other people out, never give them that. Because just imagine one day that your Facebook page, which hundreds of people follow, was gone, or if they started posting, you know, horrible articles or bad reviews or whatever, and you wouldn't even know it. And even once you found out, they're really hard to get down. This is the kind of thing to audit. Don't wait for the theft because once they take it, getting it back. It's practically impossible. It just really, really is without legal action. I mean, if I had a client call me up and say, we had somebody leave, Eric, I'd be calling you because at that point, the only thing I could think of that would have a shot would be a legal pathway because they're holding an hostage just because they were granted the access to do so.
0: Right. And I think, you know, that whole different level of access is the same mentality that we approach all of these situations, right? Giving people the most limited amount of information that they need to do their job. And as you and I, we both do HIPAA, right? That's the whole mm. HIPAA approach is, right? The minimal necessary to do what somebody needs to do as part of their job description. Mm. And it should never be that somebody working for you has as much power as you, if possible, or at least it's you know shared so that no one person has that power. And sure. yeah, the, the social media situation is, I mean, it's a new area for everyone. We've had clients where people leaving have just wiped out their Facebook accounts wiped out their other accounts. And, and there's really no way to get it back you know, right. once it's gone and they have to restart from scratch. And that's a whole new area of damage to cause someone. We're going to really see legal developments in that area. But I say, let's get ahead of it now. You know, so many practices really depend on social media right now for their marketing, for their presence, their competition. And you know, one not so smart move can ruin it all.
1: Yeah. And I've seen where I'll come onto a client and uh, they don't own the Facebook page or the Instagram page. They had their front desk person, oh, just set it up for me. And when whoever sets it up is by default going to become the owner, unless they take the right steps to make somebody else the owner. And there it is. The seed has been planted for if that person ever leaves, if they're very nice about it, they'll transfer ownership. But most people don't even know how to do that. And so it just kind of travels with them without them even realizing it, let alone even a F situation. So a lot of good stuff here. (laughs) Erica, you have the greatest stories. I learn more and I just walk away going, holy crap, I'm in this particular case. I'll be honest, I'm glad I don't have employees right now because I don't know that I'm ready (laughs) to do everything that I want to do to make sure that I've got the proper level of oversight. So just a couple of other questions. The first one is, is there anything you think I should have asked you, but just didn't?
0: No, I mean, I think maybe, you know, one of the things we want to consider is, what are some of the red flags in the way we operate our practice? Like, what are some of the, maybe red flags in the right word, but what are some of the weakness points that we have in our practice? And really, you know, that's a little bit different than the topic we've covered. But when you look around your business and what are the things that kind of have worried you, but you figured, you know, you'll, you'll get to it when you get to it, right? Are there, you know, too many people with access to a credit card, right? Are there are you not really doing checks and balances on cash you keep on hand have you been a little loose about the last time you you know actually balanced your books and records right so what are some of the things that you know thinking about these issues might trigger for you that i'm not even touching on here every situation is completely unique you might call me tomorrow with a totally different you know theft or you know dishonesty situation in your practice that i haven't thought about so you know your business the best What are some of the things that you have wondered about that you're doing in your practice? I had this situation, a a really unique scenario where one of our clients had a computer. And if you wanted to buy something, it was a pretty big practice, buy something for the practice, everybody had to do it from that computer. So we knew that somebody had used the computer, but we didn't know who because there were lots of people who used it. And they were ordering expensive pieces of equipment. And we could see the equipment was getting delivered. And somebody at the front desk would sign off for it. But then it would disappear before we could investigate You know what it was, who took it, where to go. And the type of equipment wow. they were ordering was photography equipment that was super expensive, had nothing to do with the practice, right. et cetera. But the way the mechanisms were set up, you know, there were too many people with access to the computer. There was no checks and balances. Anybody could buy something on that credit card. Things would get delivered and there was no process for tracking things as delivered. There were no security cameras on the front desk right? So we couldn't see who picked them up and took them. So just that one scenario created so many questions about things that could have been done better. But sometimes until those situations happen, we don't know. We don't know to do them, right? right? So hopefully some of these stories make people think about maybe I should have a camera here so I could see what's going on. Maybe there should be two people authorizing every use of a credit card you know, or things like that, right? So sometimes we need to learn from other people's experiences, but I urge everybody to look in their own practice and think about the things that they're worried about that may be unique to their practice that I am not even touching on here. And I think people would be surprised if they really do know more or have greater concerns than they realize.
1: Right, right. And that's a perfect lead into my last question is, if we step back from all these scenarios and all these ways that employees can kind of, you know, really do harm to your practice... If there were one or two tangible steps that listeners could take as soon as we're done, you know with this episode, what would it be? I mean, one that jumps to mind for me is maybe it's pick that area with this worry you've sort of been pushing off to the side, or maybe it's pick an area, let's say the you know the finances, and schedule an audit or just have a fresh look at it, like an honest look, like a dispassionate look. So you know if if we were really running this well, or we need somebody to come in here and just tell us we're doing great, Or tell us, you know, there's some areas that we think you ought to change, whether there's been a problem or not. But what would you say?
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I I would have, you know, somebody from the outside doing an audit of the financials for sure, just to figure out that there's nothing going on. But I almost think that even more important than that would be, think about who works in your practice and what their job description is. Does anybody have the sole authority And if so, immediately change that. Immediately figure out who has sole access to something, who has sole rights to put money in or take money out of a bank account, who has sole rights to use a credit card, who has sole access to passwords, and immediately create a list of all those passwords. Make sure you have them and make sure you're the one with the controlling email and controlling access on all of them. And I think, you know, before we start asking questions or doing an audit, we need to make sure we have that. Unfortunately, doing an audit or asking for that information can sometimes be the trigger for figuring out that there have been some things going on, right? Sure. So hopefully not. So, but I think you know, figuring out what information is out there and what do you have or not have access to is one of the very first things that I would think you should do. Perfect.
1: Perfect. Cool. Well, Erica, thank you. Thank you once again for coming on Practice Care. I really appreciate it. My once again. Pleasure. Yeah. Once again, Erica is a shareholder at Retzel, and she is the practice group manager for the healthcare practice there. Erica, if uh, listeners wanted to get a hold of you, we're going to put your contact info in the show notes, but what's the best way to get a, to get a hold of you?
0: Uh, the best way is to probably shoot me an email at eadler at ralaw.com. And I will be sure to Uh, respond, you can also check out our website at ralaw.com. And all my contact information is on there as well.
1: Perfect. Thank you very much. Just a couple of points before we wrap up. First, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Practice Care on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And finally, if you've had an experience with the business side of your practice that you think others would benefit from hearing about, we would love to have you on Practice Care to tell the world about it. And on the website page for Practice Care, you'll see uh, instructions on where to apply and how to apply. And then we'd love to get it so that we can get you scheduled. Thanks very much. And until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Practice Care with Carl White. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.